Okay, good evening everybody. We began two weeks ago the subject that was requested, which is a long, difficult subject, but one which we said we prepared to work our way through. We began to discuss the halachas of brachas. The halachas of brachas are complex. There's a number of different areas in brachas. And last week we discussed more general the halachas which are relevant to most brachas, brachas ha-mitzvahs, the brachas we say on mitzvahs, the brachas we say before we eat, which is called brachas hanenin, the brachas we say when we want to give praise to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the different brachas which are known as brachas ha-shvach, brachas brachas of praise and brachas of thanksgiving. General halachas which we discussed last week. This week we be, we're going to begin the halachas of brachas hanenin, which we agreed that we would start this week, but there are certain general halachas, which are relevant to Birchus Anenin, which are more specific to Birchus Anenin than all other brachas. And I'd like to just continue some of the halachas that we discussed last week before we actually start talking about the specifics of Birchus Anenin itself. Last week, we finished off with a halacha that one mustn't make a hefzik, one mustn't make a break between a bracha and a an eating. If a person makes a break between a bracha and eating, that could invalidate the bracha. So, for example, if a person made a bracha on a fruit, he picked up an apple, he or she picked up an apple and said, And before he or she took a bite of the apple, the phone rang. So you pick up the phone and you say, I'm sorry, call back in a minute, I'm just having an apple. And you put the phone down. Then you have made a hefsek between your bracha and your achila. A hefsek between your bracha and your achila. That, therefore, would invalidate that bracha, and you'd have to make a new bracha again. A hefzik of speaking is a hefzik which invalidates a bracha. If you make a bracha, and you just wait, because the phone's ringing, but you don't want to answer it, but you want to wait and see who's on the phone, so you just wait and wait and wait till the phone stops ringing, and somehow or other that, that enables you to see or keeps you calmer, and you can't eat an apple when, when the phone's ringing in your ear, it's too much, so you wait till it stops ringing, so you made a, a hefzik of time, but you haven't spoken, you shouldn't do that. Ideally, the food should be eaten immediately as soon as you finish the bracha. There should be no break whatsoever. But if you do make a break, then a break of time, that doesn't invalidate the bracha. But the the bracha remains a bracha. What I'd like to discuss now is some other areas of hefsik, which are extremely relevant regards the bracha sanenin, when I've made a bracha, and a bracha which I haven't yet quite partaken of the food that I made the bracha on. There are times when a person is even allowed to talk in between the making of the bracha and the eating of the food. For example, the Gemara gives us a number of examples, and I'll share a couple of them with you. For example, if you made your bracha and the... Let's talk about bread. You made your bracha on bread, you made hamotzi, and you notice there's no salt on the table. Now, you need to have salt for your bread. Bread must be eaten with salt. So you are allowed to... Shout out, please, can you bring the salt? The Lashon of the Gemara is Havvei Melach. Bring the salt. We have no salt here. Bring the salt. Or even a more extreme example, not so relevant to some of us, maybe relevant to others, is if you've made Hamotzi and you suddenly remembered that you haven't fed your animals. So you have a little zoo in your back garden. And you remembered you haven't given the animals their lunch. 
and you're sitting down to eat your lunch, now the halacha is that it's forbidden for you to eat your meal before you fed your animals. That's halacha. It's osa lecho kedem sheyech alesa behemasei. Person has to eat his, has to feed his animals before he, he eats his own foods. If you have a dog, you have a cat, and you have some chickens in the garden, whatever it may be, you have to feed them if they need to be fed before you partake of your meal. So you sat down to your meal, you suddenly remembered, oh dear, I haven't fed my animals. So you quickly shout out, please feed the animals, because when you, the, the animals are fed, then you can partake of your meal. Those are words that can be spoken in between a bracha and the food that you're eating. And the reason is, because something which is relevant to the meal is not considered a hefsuk. So if I pick up the phone after I make my bracha, before I bite into the apple, and I answer the phone, that's not relevant to my meal. Therefore, that's considered a hefsuk. A break invalidates my bracha. If, however, the words that I say are relevant to the meal, they are necessary for my meal, bring salt or feed the animals, or even give food to the army who's sitting at the table, he looks hungry, give him food immediately, that's relevant to the meal, and that's considered a, 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 a dibble, a, a speak, a, a word which has been spoken, which is not considered a hefsik. And that doesn't invalidate the bracha at all. However, despite all that, the Ramad does say, if you're able to not to interrupt, even with words that are not considered a hefsik, you're better off. Don't make any interruption whatsoever. Make sure the salt's on the table before you start your bracha. Make sure the animals are fed before you sit down to eat. Make sure that you've given food to the, the poor people and others before you sit down to eat, so you shouldn't have to come to interrupt your bracha and your partaking of the food. Another scenario that could come, could happen, is you make a bracha on your fruit or your vegetable, and you suddenly discover that it comes from Eretz Yisrael. So it's Israeli fruit and Israeli vegetables, and it hasn't had maisa, trumas and maisa is taken from it. Or you're sitting in Eretz and you picked it off your tree in your back garden, and you suddenly remembered, as you, after you made the bracha, you said, Baruch Hashem and you kicked yourself. I promised yesterday I was going to take trumas and maishas from all these fruits, and I didn't. You've just remembered just as you're about to eat it. What do you do now? So here is very interesting. The halacha is, you can't eat food without trumas and maishas. So it's necessary for me to take trumas and maishas, to take the truma and the maishas off of these fruits and vegetables, it's very necessary for me to do that before I eat. I can't eat otherwise. So it's now a hefsuk, which is necessary. So if it's trumas and maestros, if it's food which needs trumas and maestros taken from it as a sophic, as a doubt, that means we're not sure if trumas and maestros has been removed from it or not, then take trumas and maestros, set it aside, and eat from your fruit. You don't need to say much. You can say the Yerotzen afterwards. You can just set it aside, and that's good enough. If, however, you're in Eretz Yisrael, and it's, or it's Vadai Tevel, definitely fruits that had not had Trumas and Maestros taken from it, then you need to make a bracha. So make a bracha, take the Trumas and Maestros, and then eat. Don't make another bracha of Baripir 8 or Baripir Adama again. That's not necessary. Because since this is considered a break, which is relevant to my eating, it's necessary for my eating, or it's part of my of the, the, the meal process. I can't eat it without it. That's not considered a hefsik. Here in Chutzlaret, here in, in, in England, most fruits and vegetables that you buy, even in the supermarkets, which are Israeli, have probably, or not probably, could have had trumas and maestros taken from it because the Israeli fruits all go to a general warehouse where they're supposed to take trumas and maestros before it leaves the country. But nobody knows for sure. It's not monitored. So you can't consider the fruits and vegetables definitely tevel here in, in, in Chutzlaret. It could be tevel. So if you do, if you do find yourself in that situation where you're eating a, a fruit and you suddenly realize it's Israeli, take Trump some maestros, but don't, there's no need for you to speak or make a bracha.
Now we're going to discuss another area of Hefsuk, which is extremely, not extremely, I shouldn't say that, it's slightly complicated. I'm going to try my best to make it as simple as possible. So I want you to imagine and visualize yourself sitting at your Shabbos meal. And you're sitting down, and you're the Mekadish, whoever that is, is making Kiddush, or he's making Hamotzi, and he's being Motzi, he's making the bracha on behalf of all the people who are sitting around the table. So the person who's making the brachas will be making hamotzi. He'll sit there and make hamotzi. And he makes this beautiful hamotzi. He makes a bracha, hamotzi lechem in horitz. And then he partakes of the food. So he immediately takes a piece of bread and he eats it. Is it permitted to speak once he's eaten or not? And the answer is, of course, it's not permitted for the people who are listening to speak. Because what's happening here is that the Mavarich, the one who's making the bracha, is making a bracha on behalf of himself, but also making a bracha on behalf of all the people who are listening. So in effect, it's as if he's making a bracha for himself, I'm making a bracha for myself, and my neighbor's making a bracha for himself, and all the people, all the other people who are listening, all making brachas for themselves. And that concept is called Shemea Ka'ina, listening to a bracha, equates to making a bracha on your own. So you haven't actually made a bracha on your own, but it has the equal status as if you made a bracha on your own. Now, just like when I make a bracha on my own, I may not eat, I may not speak in between my bracha and me eating, so too, if I didn't make that bracha, but I did make the bracha by listening to the mavorich who made the bracha, it is forbidden for me, therefore, to speak in between. The moment I speak in between, I've made a hefzik. What happens if I did speak? Does it have the same stringency as when I make a bracha myself and I spoke before I ate? Or is it a bit more lenient? Because at the end of the day, I didn't actually make the bracha. The mavarich, the one who made the bracha, he made the bracha, and he's eaten already. So the bracha is a good bracha. When I make a bracha and I speak before I eat, so the bracha has nothing to to connect to. It can't connect to the food. There's no food there. I've spoken. So I've not allowed that bracha to connect to the food. But in this scenario, it's a slightly different because the Mavarech has made the bracha and that bracha has connected to the food that he made. And that bracha that he makes is equates to me making my own bracha. Do I therefore say that since it's my own bracha, I haven't eaten. So by me speaking, I've made a break between my bracha and the food. Or do we say no? that since the Mavarich made a bracha, and he's eaten already, so that bracha is now connected to food, so it's considered a bracha, and that's considered a bracha for me as well. The fact that I spoke doesn't actually matter. This is a big discussion in the Paskim. This is a big machlekes in the Paskim. A, a, very, a very big machlekes. Some say, since the Mavarich eaten, that's considered a bracha already. And if the Shemea, the one who is listening, speaks... He, he doesn't invalidate the bracha because the only reason why a bracha is invalidated is because it can't connect to the food. But the original bracha did connect to the food. And I can now transplant that original bracha to me, despite the fact that I haven't eaten yet, and it's still considered a bracha. So I can speak. I shouldn't speak l'chatchelah, but if I did, it doesn't invalidate the bracha. Others say, no, for me, my bracha, which is being said on my behalf by the Mavarich, but it's now my own particular bracha through the concept of Shemea Ka'ina. By me listening, it's as if I've made the bracha. And therefore, my bracha hasn't connected to the food that I, may, I, I want to eat. And therefore, by me speaking, I've invalidated my Shemea Ka'ina bracha. And therefore, I, I need to make another bracha. 
Now, the, the rule, the general rule, as we mentioned last week, when it comes to brachos, is a suffix brachos lahakil. Whenever I have a doubt if I need to make a bracha or if I do not need to make a bracha, including in brichas and including brachas that I, I make prior to eating, if I have a doubt whether I need to make that bracha or do not need to make that bracha, suffix brachas lahakil dictates that I do not need to make that bracha. So in this scenario, it should follow that if the Mavarich said Amaitzi, and you just couldn't contain yourself, and you just had to say the piece of news, do you know what you just heard? Unbelievable. And you just couldn't, you couldn't contain it, and you just blurted it out. But you blurted it out after the Mavarich, the one who made the bracha, has already eaten part of his bread. Now, eaten here means put it in his mouth, chewed it, and swallowed it. doesn't just mean putting it in his mouth. It means chewing it and swallowing it. You managed to last that long, and then you just couldn't contain yourself, and then you blurted it out. That would be a Suffolk bracha. You do not need to make another bracha. However, we try to avoid Suffolk brachas whenever we can. We don't like to put ourselves in situations of Suffolk bracha because Suffolk bracha means don't make a bracha, but it's very possible that I need to make a bracha. And then it could be that I'm eating without a bracha. If you came and asked me, Shaila, what should I do? I'd say to you, Suffolk bracha is not don't make a bracha. But let's try and avoid that scenario. So the Taz, on the side of the Shukhanarach, comes up with a very clever idea. And he makes this suggestion. He says that any person who's being moitzi, any person who's making a bracha on behalf of another person, should always have in mind that he only intends to be moitzi people who do not talk before they eat. But if they talk before they eat, he has no intention to be moitzi them. So here I am making my big moitzi or my uh, beautiful challah. I say, moitzi lechem in In my mind, I've thought to myself, oh, anybody who talks, I have no intention to be moitzi them. This bracha is not going to work for them. And I start eating. Somebody blurts out some piece of news that they couldn't contain themselves. And they spoke between the bracha that they heard after the, the mavorich ate. And they had eaten. They hadn't eaten yet. Then according to the task, since I intended not to be much of them, if they speak, then according to all opinions, they have to make a new bracha themselves. So that would circumvent this scenario of Safik bracha. Are we clear on that? So again, if a mavorich makes a bracha and eats, and the shomer, the listener, speaks without eating before he eats. That's a discussion of the poskim. If there's no way out of that, we would say, Safik brachas lahakil, just carry on eating. However, the Taz tries to find this little loophole in the law, in the halacha, to get around that. And he says every person who makes a, a hamotzi on behalf of someone else, or bichasayayin, a boy on behalf of someone else, the same question would be with Kiddush. I've made my boy pregofen, I drink a bit. And the shemer, the listeners, speak before they eat, before they, they drink. Do they need to make a bracha? Do they not need to make a bracha? Machlekes aposkim. Therefore, the, the person who's making kiddush should have in mind, anybody who speaks, I'm not, I have no intention to be right to them. And that way we get around the problem of suffering bracha. So therefore, if the shemer speaks, he must make a new bracha. And this is very, very relevant when it comes to children, uh, particularly about kiddush. They find it hard after the, the, the kiddush is finished and the, the balabais who's making kiddush drinks the wine, they often speak. They can't contain themselves, especially if you have a large group of guests. So you give all the adults until it gets down to the little children. It can take a while and then they will talk. Do, you, do they need to make another bracha or not? Machlekes hapaskim. If the Mavarich had intention not to be mighty, then for sure they need to make a new bracha. If the Shemea spoke, so the listener spoke before the Mavarich had a chance to make a bracha. Sorry, before the Mavarich had a chance to eat or drink. So the Balabos makes his hamaychi. He says, hamaychi lechem And he picks out katzachala, about to put it in his mouth. Before he puts it in his mouth, or before he swallowed it, guest number three blurts out a piece of news that he just couldn't contain himself. In that scenario, 
everybody agrees the Shemeah needs to make a new bracha because the bracha of the Mavarich hadn't yet connected to any food because the Mavarich hadn't yet eaten. And the Shemeah spoke. So therefore, as far as, as, far as the Shemeah is concerned, it's not considered a bracha. The Mavarich can carry on eating. His bracha is a good bracha. But the Shemeah, the one who's listening's bracha, the one who spoke, that's not considered a bracha. And therefore, he would definitely have to make a new bracha if he spoke before the Mavarich actually has a chance to eat. Now we have another situation, which is also a, a scenario one would try to avoid. But this is a situation which is interesting. It's not so relevant nowadays, but it could happen. It could happen. On Leil Pesach, it could happen. Uh, the situation is like this. In the time of the Gemara, they, the, the Kaddish would make Kiddush, the Balabash would make Kiddush, and everybody else in the family would have a becher of wine in front of them. Now, the scenario would have, that, that, that evolved could be as follows. The Mavarich makes a, a, a Kiddush. And everybody's listening, or Hamotzi, and everybody's listening, and they all have their own little chal in front of them. And um, he shouldn't be doing this, but before the Mavarich had a chance to eat, the Shemeah picked up his chal and he swallowed. And he ate a bit of chal, or he drank a bit of wine. So prior to the Mavarich eating, the Shemeah had already eaten. And then the Mavarich makes a bracha. And sorry, then the Mavarich speaks before he actually eats. So this is the opposite situation to what we've just learned. So let's repeat that. The Mavarich makes his bracha on on behalf of all the listeners. One of the listeners drinks or eats, depending on the case, before the Mavarich has a chance to, to drink and eat. And the Mavarich, before he drinks and eats, then goes and says something to him. He says, excuse me, why don't you wait for me? Where's your, where's your derech heretz? So the Mavarich hasn't yet eaten, and he's spoken. But the listener... Has eaten already. So do we say now, since that bracha has already connected to some food via the listener, so we're back to the same situation as before, and therefore it's a sophic bracha and the mavarich doesn't need to make another bracha? Or do we say this situation is worse? Because since the mavarich, the one who actually originally made the bracha, spoke before he ate, that's much worse than the previous scenario, and therefore the Mavarich has to make a new bracha as well, according to everybody. And that is a huge discussion again in the Paskim. It's a situation best avoided. If that ever happens, please give me a call and I'll try and tell you what to do. But for the moment, the best advice I can give you is avoid that situation. So if you're the one making Amoitzi, if you're the one making Kiddush, do not talk before you've drunk. Even if somebody else has eaten, come what may. And even if you get really annoyed, what a right is he has to eat before you? And it works you up, control yourself till you've eaten, and only tell him off after you've had something to eat, and then you've re- resolved that scenario. But th- these are difficult situations, different, different, difficult halachas. And therefore, best avoided. This is a, a, a big discussion in the, between the Mogan of Rome and the Mishnah Bura. The Mogan of Rome says you don't need to make another bracha. Mishnah Bura says you do need to make another bracha. Best to be avoided if you can. If a person makes a bracha, he picks up an apple and he makes a bracha, and he sees a piece of chocolate and he's a bit of a chocoholic and can't contain himself, picks up that piece of chocolate and eats it. Okay, I've, I've given a very bad example because we're going to discuss the bracha on chocolate uh, another time. So let's say he picks up a, a, um, a drink, a drink of, of water. He's thirsty. So he makes a bracha on an apple and then he's thirsty and he sees a cup of water on the table, so he drinks water. So he's now eaten or drank in between the bracha and the food that he's supposed to be eating. The bracha was a bracha He's supposed to connect to the apple that he's eating. But the apple 
didn't actually connect because he made that break, not with speaking, he didn't speak, and not with, not with being quiet, that didn't happen, but he made a break by eating in between or drinking in between, something else. Then the halacha is that is also considered a break, it's considered a hefsek, and he needs to make a new bracha. If a person makes a bracha, let's assume an apple again, and he says, Bari Pri eats, and he's about to eat the apple, but before he eats the apple, he remembers he needs to do something. Or one of his children begging him to, please get me up on my Zoom lesson, whatever it may be. A action between, even if he didn't speak, an action between a bracha and eating is also considered a hefsek if it's a, a, a quite a a, 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 a chosh of action. If he's just uh, moved the salt from one side of the table to the other, that's not considered a maisa, an action which can consider the hefsek. It's going to be something that needs his mind to be occupied with it, even if it's just for a few moments. And therefore it's considered a hefsek hadas, it's considered that he's allowed his mind to wander away from the bracha, and therefore he needs to make a new bracha. So I would assume setting your child up on a Zoom lesson takes some, uh, well for me to get onto Zoom takes me a few minutes, so that would be considered something uh, 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 quite a, a serious action, a serious maisa, a maisa choshev, and it would mean that my mind has been distracted from my bracha, then when I come back, I would have to make a new bracha. Try not to do any action in between a bracha and the eating. Walking around up between a bracha and eating. Now, this can actually be a relevant, quite a relevant uh, halacha. Is walking in between a bracha and eating considered a hefsek? So I've made my bracha over here, and I want to eat it somewhere else. Now, primarily, I shouldn't make, I shouldn't walk. I should make a bracha and eat exactly in the same place. So if I'm making a bracha here, I should eat here, and, that shouldn't, and I shouldn't walk around. If I did walk around, that wouldn't be considered a hefsek, but yeah, but it would be fine. Not only that, what would happen if I'm in a situation where I'm eating in a place, and that's where the food is, where there's a rechra, a bad smell, where I'm not allowed to make a bracha? Now, why you should want to eat that, I don't know, but that's how it is. That's where the food is. But I'm not allowed to make a bracha. What do I do? Then I'm allowed to move to the other corner of the room or somewhere further away in the room where the, that reach doesn't, doesn't reach. I can make my bracha there. After my bracha, walk back to where the food is and eat the food there. So ideally, I don't walk in between my bracha and my eating of the food. If I need to, I should, but I should try and remain in the room. I should try not to walk from one room to the other. If I can't avoid the, 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 the smell is right away around the room, then I can go out of the room into another room and make a bracha there with the intention to eat it in the other room. But the ever that would be fine as well. However, to make a bracha outside the house and come in the house or a bracha from one house to the other house, that's already considered a hefsek and that wouldn't work. So that clarifies for us a little bit more the halachas of of Hefzik. These are halachas of Hefzik, which we discussed briefly at the end of Shia last week, uh, two weeks ago, and I wanted to clarify some of those halachas. They're extremely relevant, and I hope that gives us a bit more clarity with regards to the halacha of Hefzik when it comes to eating food. Let's move on to some more relevant halachas, and then we'll, we'll just give you a, b- a brief background to Birchus Apeyus, which we promise we'll start this week. When it comes to the halacha of making a bracha on a mitzvah, we all know that the bracha on a mitzvah must be said over la'asi osom, prior to the, the actual mitzvah being done. So if I'm about to shake my lulav, then I must make my bracha before I shake my lulav. I can't make a bracha before I lift up the lulav because that's too far away. That would be considered a hefsek. That would be considered me making a bracha without the food or the, the 
item of mitzvah in my hand. So I must lift up the esrik and, and the lulav. But at the moment I've lifted it up, I've already fulfilled my mitzvah. How can I make a bracha after I fulfill my mitzvah? And therefore we all know what we do. We pick up the lulav and we turn the esrik upside down. And therefore I can't fulfill my mitzvah with an esrik upside down. I then make my bracha. I turn my esrik around. Then my bracha was made prior to the fulfillment of the mitzvah. Over la'asiyasam pre the actual doing of the mitzvah, the fulfilling of the mitzvah. Therefore, my brachas, a good bracha, is over lasiyosam. If I would pick up my lulav and my esrit with the intention to make a, to, to, to fulfill a mitzvah, and I would shake it, and then I'd realize, oh dear, silly me, I forgot to make a bracha. Can I make a bracha after a mitzvah? Now that, according to most Rishonim, I can't. There is one opinion called the, the Ezerah, which is mentioned in the Hagar Sashri, in the Sechtas Cholin, and elsewhere, but if you didn't make a bracha beforehand, I can make a bracha afterwards, even when I finish my mitzvah. You're looking at me and you're thinking, why on earth am I talking about mitzvahs now when we're learning bruchas anenin? And the answer to that is because the same question arises when it comes to making a bracha on food. What happens if I picked up my apple, I ate my apple, forgot to make a bracha, and I finished my apple and I remembered now that I need to, I haven't made a bracha. Is it too late for me to make my bracha of bariparates? Or is it not too late? Do we have the same rule that just like when it comes to a mitzvah, I must make the bracha pre-mitzvah? And if I missed out my bracha and I finished my action of doing the mitzvah, I shouldn't make my bracha afterwards, according to most, most opinions. Does that apply here as well when it comes to food? Or do we say food is different? That even though I've finished eating, but I need to make a bracha, I can still make the bracha afterwards. This is a discussion now. There's no question about it. The ideal is always to make a bracha beforehand. That's the halacha, that's the Gemara. The Gemara says it's forbidden to benefit from this world without a bracha. The wording of the Gemara is, also litoim klum koidem it's forbidden to taste any food prior to making a bracha. A bracha must always precede eating. That's fine. That's a given and we know that. Here we're talking about in a situation where you were stressed, uh, perhaps you were in lockdown and you were a bit, a bit, a bit uh, not yourself and you forgot to make a bracha. You forgot to make a bracha. Can I still make a bracha afterwards or not? That is a discussion in the Gemara. The Gemara discusses this, and strangely enough, the Gemara says it's a machlekes. There are those, the, the, the opinion of those who say that it's too late. Once you've eaten, it's too late. A bracha must always precede eating. Post-eating, you cannot make a bracha. We're talking about the, the first bracha. You can make a bracha achreina. You can say you're burning a fashay, so you're or your alamich, or alam eitz, or whatever it may be, or your bichas hamazan. But your pre-bracha, your bichas hanenin, that can't be made. The bari pre-eitz, the hamotzi lechem in aritz, that can't be made after you've eaten. There are others who say, you can make the bracha after you've eaten. We paskin, la halacha, la halacha we paskin, that you cannot make a bracha after you've eaten. So the halacha, as it stands is, once you've finished your food, do not make a bracha. Too late. However, there is an opinion which says that one's allowed to make a bracha in one's mind. And making a bracha in one's mind, thinking the bracha is not considered a bracha of atola, because I didn't express it. It's only considered a bracha of atola if I express it. We actually, Paskin, the halacha, we take on, the halacha takes on that thinking a bracha in your mind is not sufficient and is not considered a bracha. However, in this scenario where you don't lose, because I've already eaten and I can't make a bracha after I've eaten, but there are those who say, maybe I should make a bracha even if I finished eating. We don't follow that opinion in halacha, but there are those who do say that. There's an opinion in the Ravid and others. Therefore, the halacha in Mishnah Bura tells us that the ideal, what to do is, is if you've finished eating, think the bracha in your mind. And at least that way, you may have fulfilled the opinion that you can make a bracha afterwards as well.
But to make a bracha verbally, that would be a bracha levatole. If you hadn't quite finished your apple, if you haven't finished your apple, make a bracha. Make a bracha. Because just because I didn't make a bracha when I started my apple doesn't doesn't allow me not to to finish my apple without a bracha. So if I'm halfway through my apple and I remember that I haven't made a bracha, make a bracha. Of course, you have to make a bracha. If you really want to be ideal, you want to do it 100% right and you finish your apple and you haven't made a bracha, go and take another apple and make a bracha on that apple. So that way you've made a bracha on your next apple, so it's a good bracha. You've made a bracha after you finish the apple, so you may have fulfilled those opinions, the opinion of those who say that you need to make a, a bracha afterwards. But it's not a bracha batala because you're about to eat another apple. And that's what the Chavaz Chaim says. The best scenario is toiv, he says. Toiv yaisa lechel oit kisas. The best thing to do is, if you've forgotten to make a bracha, eat a little bit more of that food. Make a bracha. It can be any food if it carries the same bracha. Make a bracha, and that way you now fulfill the opinion of those who say that you can make a bracha. You can make a bracha even afterwards. But that's the best, best, best case scenario. If you really can't, then think it in your mind, but more than that, you can't do. What happens if a person has put food in his mouth, he hasn't quite swallowed it yet, and then he remembers that he hasn't made a bracha? What do you do? So there's three cases that the Gemara discusses, three three case scenario, three different scenarios which are possible with regards to putting food in your mouth prior to eating it. The first scenario would be a type of food that you put in your mouth, but if you took it out of your mouth, wouldn't wouldn't really matter. It wouldn't make the food inedible. It wouldn't render it inedible. It wouldn't make it disgusting that you wouldn't want to eat it afterwards. And that type of food, for example, just as a simple example, would be a sweet. You put a sweet in your mouth, and you remember you haven't made a bracha? You took it out of your mouth, wouldn't harm the sweet. The sweet would look exactly the same as it did before you put it in its mouth, before you put it in your mouth. So in that case, the Gemara tells us, and that's how, we, that's how the halacha tells us to follow, you take it out of your mouth and make a bracha and then put it back in. Um, not the nicest thing to do, but don't forget to make a bracha before you put it in your mouth in the first place. So if you did, take it out and make a bracha. If it's a type of food that by taking it out would become disgusting, you wouldn't be able to put it back in your mouth again. So a piece of challah, you've chewed, and suddenly you realize, oh, I haven't made a bracha, what do I do now? So then the, 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 the Gemara tells us, in this, this second scenario, don't take the food out. Because if you take the food out, you're not going to eat it. And you won't eat it, you need to eat food. So what should you do? So then the halacha says, put the food to the side of your mouth and make a bracha. Even though we discussed last year that when a person makes a bracha, he should have nothing in his mouth. Because the person's mouth should be full of the praise of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, meaning it should be a mouth which is only saying praise but not actually doing anything else, eating other food. Therefore, ideally, one should not have food in one's mouth when one makes a bracha. But in this case, we don't have an option. I've already started eating. And to take the food out would render the food inedible. So therefore, I move the food to the side of my mouth, I make a bracha, and then I continue eating the food. Where it becomes more complicated is the third scenario of the Gemara, and that is if I put liquid in my mouth. I put liquid in my mouth and I forgot to make a bracha. So I take a quick cup of water, put it in my mouth, I'm dead thirsty, I've just come in boiling hot, and I put water on and I forgot to make a bracha. What do I do now? What do I do now? So if it's only a small amount of water and I can move it to the side of my mouth, move it to the side of your mouth, make a bracha, and drink it. But most cases, when I put all liquid in my mouth, that's going to be very difficult. Because if I, 
anything other than a tiny bit of liquid, the moment I open my mouth and say bracha, it's not going to stay in my mouth, and that's not very pleasant. So I'm not able to make a bracha with liquid in my mouth at all. So then the, the halacha says as follows. If there's plenty more of that drink, and you don't need that piece of drink if it's in your mouth, there's plenty more of it. Spit it out. Water, just run the tap again. Spit it out and take some more water and make a bracha. If, however, there's a shortage of water, there's a drought, and every bit of water is precious, and to spit that water out would be a waste, or if it's an expensive wine, or an expensive orange juice, or, or whatever it may be, and spitting it out would be a really big waste, then I drink without making a bracha. And that's a very unusual case. Very rare that we allow you to eat or drink without making a bracha. We will come across another case in a few moments. But we try to avoid eating or drinking. Also, it's forbidden for a person to eat and drink without a bracha. But here, Chazal allowed you to eat and drink without a bracha. And the reason being, and this is one of the reasons, and this is the only reason I'm going to share with you, but this is the simplest reason. And this is a reason which is quoted in the Rosh. And that's because once drinks in my mouth, it becomes inedible. That means if I spit it out, it's not actually going to be edible anymore. And therefore, I can't make... A, it's not considered a drink anymore. It loses its status of drink and doesn't really need a bracha. So before I drink, here I'm holding a cup of water. That water is drinkable. It's really it's a drink. It's wine. It's, it's, it's orange juice. I need to make a bracha on it. But the moment it's in my mouth and the enzymes of my mouth have mixed together with that drink, then it's turned the drink into something which nobody's going to drink ever if I pour it back into a cup. Therefore, it's not edible, really. It's not drinkable. It's worse than a, a, a piece of food that's been chewed. It's worse than that. And therefore, we consider it non-drinkable drink, which doesn't therefore need a bracha. Something which is not really drinkable is, does not need a bracha. And that's a chiddish. That's an interesting halacha when it comes to liquid in your mouth. Now we come to another case. What would happen if a person wants to eat and drink, but is not able to make a bracha? For example, his hands are unclean. Middle of the night. Middle of the night, you wake up and you're dead thirsty. Middle of the night, we take on that. You die in Masconia, saying the hands are always busy at night. They've always touched areas of the body that are considered unclean. Therefore, you can't make a bracha without, wash, without washing. Or you're in a place where you're, you're, you're looking after somebody who's, who's unclean and you can't leave them and you can't make a bracha in, there, in, in, in the vicinity of where they are. Or you're in an area where there's a bad smell, or whatever it may be, and you can't make a bracha, but you need to drink, or you would like to drink or eat. What do you do? How do you get around the problem? It's forbidden to eat or drink without a bracha. At the same time, it's sometimes you're in scenarios where it's forbidden to make a bracha. What should you do? So if you're in a place where it's just not possible to make a bracha, there's no way you can make the bracha, and even with slight difficulty, you won't be able to make that bracha, then you can eat or drink without a bracha. But in that case, best to think the bracha in your mind, if you can. If you're in an area where there's a bad smell or, or there's dirt around, etc., and you can't even think the bracha because you're not allowed to think brachas in areas where there's a bad smell or where there's dirt around, then you'd have to eat and drink without a bracha. There's nothing you can do about it. Chazal allow the person who's an oinus, somebody who's, un, who's, who's not able to make a bracha, the Chazal allow the person to, to eat and drink without a bracha in a scenario where you really can't make a bracha. So another example would be a sick person who can't get out of bed, can't wash their hands, and the, the nurses refuse to come to, 
to help because they're, they're swamped with lots of other calls or they're just being lazy, whatever the case may be, and you're desperate for a drink, but you can't make a bracha because you can't wash your hands, drink without a bracha. What sedefa happens now in the middle of the night? You're middle of the night, you're extremely tired, you're in bed. To go and wash your hands and get out of bed would mean that you have to get out of bed at night. It's cold, it's the middle of the winter. You have to go and wash your hands, then go and get a drink. By the time you get back into bed, it's going to take you a while to get back to sleep again. Is that considered enough of a doichik to allow you to not make a bracha or not? And that's again a machlekes. And the Chofetz Chaim and the Mishnah Baruch is quite strict on this. And he says, even if it's difficult to get out of bed, but you can, it's doable, very doable. Not just not, it's very doable. It's just very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable is not considered enough of a reason to eat without bracha. It's got to be in a situation where it's really, really not possible, really difficult to the extent like a chayla, like somebody who's unwell, or in a place where it's not, you're not able to, only then are you allowed to eat without bracha. Otherwise, you don't have to get out of bed, wash your hands, and make a bracha. When you make a bracha, we discussed in the previous year, if you remember, that the food should really be ideally be in your hand. But if it's not in your hand, the bracha is still a bracha. If the food's not in front of you, that means you you, make, you, you, you know that there's going to be some fruit coming soon, but you don't know what, where, and who, and you make a bracha before it comes, that's an invalid bracha. A bracha can only be made on food that's in front of you. If you made a bracha, for example, you're at a river, and this is just, I'm giving this as an example. You made a bracha on the water at a river, you were very thirsty, you went on a hike, you came across a river and you made, you wanted to have a drink, so you got bent down on your hands and knees, you made a bracha, and then you're gonna take a cup, take some, some, or put your hands in and make, and draw out the water and make a bracha. Now when you made a bracha, the water that was in front of you has long moved along. It's moved down the river, and the water that you're actually gonna take out is water that was not in front of you. But that doesn't matter. That bracha is still considered a good bracha because since you knew for sure that there was that water further upstream was going to come downstream and eventually come to front of you when you, when you finish the bracha and you were, you were going to draw from that water and drink, that's considered okay. A bracha needs to be said when the food's in front of you or if you know for sure that the food's, the food's coming. So, for example, if you're sitting in your kitchen, you're making a bracha on a cracker and the cracker's in the cupboard and you know exactly where the cracker is and you know which cracker you're going to have, even though it's not in front of you, but it's in the cupboard and you know you're going to make a bracha on that cracker, go and get the cracker and eat it. That's considered food that you know is coming and therefore with the ever that's considered a bracha. If, however, you're a guest in somebody else's house and you don't know what food is coming and then you make the bracha, that bracha would be considered a non-bracha and you would have to make a new bracha again. Right, so those are the halachas which are extremely relevant to basic brachas. What I would like to start now is to give you a background, and we'll have to spend more time now in the next year on birchas apeiris. We're going to start now going through different categories of fruits and vegetables, different categories of brachas, the bracha you make on fruits and vegetables, the bracha you make on, on breads, the bracha you make on drinks, the bracha you make on, on um, all different types of fruit, foods, uh, wine, olive oil, etc. What different, all different types of foods, what bracha we make. And we're going to start with bichas apeiris because that's how the Mishnah starts. Kate said, Mavachin al apeiris says the Mishnah, what bracha do you make on fruits? And the Mishnah goes and tells us different types of fruits. And he says, fruits which grow on a tree, you make a bracha of eights. Fruits which grow in the ground, you make a bracha of prihadama. The reasoning behind that is because we know that Chazal gave specific brachas to things which are more chashuv. So for example, Bread is considered the most chashuv. So we make a very specific bracha on bread. 
We make a bracha of hamaytzi lechem a very special bracha made for bread. Wine is the most chosh of a drink, so we make a special bracha on wine. Very prehagofen. In the in the food section, we also have tiers of foods which are more chashuv and less chashuv, and the more chashuv foods have more of a specific bracha. So foods which grow on a tree are considered fruits, are considered fruits of a tree, are considered more chashuv than fruits which grow in the ground, and therefore the fruits on the fruits on the tree have a, a more broader bracha, a more specific bracha, boire pre or eights. We actually say boire pre or eights. Whereas fruits that grow in the ground are more generic. We give it a more generic bracha, boire pre adama. Just fruits that come from the ground. Every fruit that grows in the tree also comes from the ground. But we give it a much more localized bracha because it's more of a of food. And therefore we make a bari pri ate some fruits that grow on a tree and bari pri adama the fruits that grow on the ground. So you're going to turn around and say to me, fine, let's finish this year now. I've told you everything that you need to know when it comes to fruits and vegetables. Anything which is a fruit is bari pri ate. Anything which is a vegetable is bari pri adama. What I'm going to share with you now is a list of things that are not a list of fruits yet, but we haven't got to that today. We will come to that. But a list of definitions, what actually defines a tree as a tree? So what defines a fruit of a tree as a fruit of a tree? And what's the definition of a vegetable? Because it's not really a vegetable. It's pre or adom, it's fruits of the ground. So it doesn't have to have to be what we consider a vegetable to be make a berry pre adom. It could be a vegetable, it could be a tree, it could be a berry pre and it could be a fruit, it could be a berry pre adama. What is the definition? What what definition did Chazal give to a tree that is considered a fruit of a tree? And what's not considered a fruit of the tree? So I'm going to run through a number of different things, different areas which are relevant, and give you a background to the discussions that we need to have. And this is going to be quite a lengthy discussion. What's considered fruit? Which fruits are fruits? And you'll be shocked to, to, to see that some fruits are not really fruits, and some fruits are not really, uh, are vegetables are not really vegetables. And some things that you might be making a berry pre eights may not be so obvious that you should make a berry pre eights. And some of the things that you make a berry pre adama may not be so obvious that you should be making a berry pre adama. I'm not saying you'll be making the wrong bracha till now, but there will make, there will be differences in halacha if we understand which fruits and vegetables carry which bracha when it's for sure a bracha A or when it's only bracha A out of a suffolk. And it will make a very big difference in certain scenarios, certain areas, in, in, in certain situations. So let me give you the, the, the basic background to the pr- parameters of what's called a pre Chazal tell us that the definition of a tree is something that has a bar, has a, a trunk. It's a tree. As a trunk, it doesn't make a difference what size the trunk is. It can be huge, it can be a very thin trunk. It has branches. Those branches grow fruit. The tree remains a tree. The trunk remains a trunk and the branches remain the branches throughout summer, winter. It'll stay as that tree with a trunk and a branch. Winter, summer, in the summer season it'll grow fruits. In the winter season it'll be without fruit. But it won't have to be replanted. That tree and the trunk and the and the branches will remain the same. And then every year it'll just renew its fruit. That's called gizoy machlif. Its trunk, the bulk, the, the very trunk of the tree and the 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 branches of the tree stay stay the same. The gizoy in machlif. It, it's the same tree and the same trunk every single year. It doesn't need to be replanted. The other extreme is that would be a barrier age. So a simple example of that would be an apple tree, a pear tree, an orange tree. They are trees where the trunk remains a trunk. The branches are there the whole year round. And every year it just grows new new buds and new flower, new flowers and then grows into the beautiful fruit that we, the British gave us the, the pleasure of eating. The ex- other extreme would be 
a vegetable that needs to be replanted every single year. So you take a simple vegetable. You, in order for a vegetable, a carrot, to be a carrot, you need to plant those carrots every single year. You don't plant the carrot every year, won't grow. Take wheat. You take wheat, you plant wheat one year, harvest it. You don't plant it again next year, there'll be no more wheat. It will not regrow on its own. That's called, the Gizre is not machlev. It doesn't, it doesn't re- renew itself. It doesn't uh, renew itself. It doesn't grow on its own. It needs to be replanted. That's the two extremes. That would definitely be a Boya Priya Hadama. I'm going to give you a number of cases where it's not so straightforward. And we need to discuss each one on its own. So what would happen if I had a tree and all these cases exist, and these are fruits and vegetables that we eat. I have a tree where the trunk remains from year to year. But every year the branches fall off the trunk and I'm left with a trunk without branches. And then comes the next fruiting season, the branches start growing again and then on those branches I grow grows fruit. Is that considered a tree or is that considered a vegetable? It's not quite the same as a normal tree because a normal tree the branches remain from year to year. This scenario the branches don't remain from year to year. And we'll find some 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 fruits that uh, match that that description, Metzashem, when we, when we go through each case specifically in the coming year. Is that considered a fruit? Is that considered a vegetable? Or let's take it a stage further. What would happen if I had a fruit which grows on, on a tree, but every year the tree dies, except the roots remain. So the branches die and the trunk dies off. But every year I don't need to replant it. Every year the trunk will grow again. It'll co-grow and with branches and it will grow fruit. But it, the trunk and the branches renew themselves every single year. Is that considered a tree or is that considered a vegetable? It grows tall. It's quite tall. It's a tree. But every single year it regrows itself. But the roots don't regrow themselves. Is that considered a tree? Is that considered a vegetable? How far do we take this concept of renewal? It mustn't renew itself. Do I need every aspect of the tree not to renew itself, the trunk and the branches? Is it just good enough if the trunk, trunk doesn't renew itself? Or is it good enough if just the roots don't renew themselves? Is that considered a a tree or is that considered a vegetable? What would happen if I had the type of a tree that never grew branches ever? It had a trunk and off that trunk grows, off the trunk itself grows the fruit and it never grows branches and the trunk stays there from year to year. Is that considered a tree? Or do we say no? A normal tree is a tree that has Branches. This tree doesn't have branches ever. That's not considered a tree. What do we say? No, it's got a trunk. It looks like a tree. Seems to be a tree to me. Is that considered a tree or a vegetable? Another question. What would happen if I had a tree that grew very low, like a bush, a very low bush, less than three, three fucking high? Is that bush considered growing in the ground? It stays there from year to year and it doesn't need to be renewed. Is that considered a tree? Or do we say, no, it's so less, less than three to fachim. Three to fachim is 24 centimeters. You're talking about a very small bush. So some berry that grows on a very small bush. Is that considered a tree? Or is that considered a, a vegetable growing on the ground? That means it's not a vegetable in the technical sense of vegetable, but is it enough of a Fruit, chosh of a fruit, that we can consider it a prior eights, and we can make a brach on it. What would happen if I have fruit growing on a thorn bush? So, for example, the the Israeli sabra, 
If you've ever seen a sabra tree, it's pretty difficult to get them off the bushes. It's a thorn bush. Do we say a thorn bush is considered a chosher a tree? Or do we say a thorn bush is considered something which is not so chosher? And therefore we don't make our eights on it. Because don't forget, the reason why we make our eights on fruits that grow on a tree is because they're a little bit chosher. They're more of an important delicacy than the vegetables that grow in the ground. What happens to fruits that grow in plant pots? So I have a plant pot and I grow in my plant pot I grow an apple tree or a pear tree. Do I make a bracha on, the, on that as bar tree or eights? Or what bracha do I make on it? Or vegetables growing in a plant pot? What bracha do I make? What bracha do I make on vegetables growing in hydroponics on water, which is quite a, a common phenomenon nowadays? What bracha do I make on vegetables or fruits growing in hydroponics? These are all shilas that we need to know. So, for example, I'll just list you a list of fruits that are going to become questionable. What bracha do we make on bananas? What bracha do we make on strawberries? What bracha do we make on on sabras? What bracha do we make on papaya? Uh, what bracha do we make on pineapple? All these types of, of, of fruits and vegetables are questionable. Exactly what bracha do we need to make? And why do we make the brachas that we do make? And Brez Hashem, in the... In the coming weeks, we'll go through, in the coming shurim, we'll go through all the different aspects of Birch Zaperis and Birch Zaperis, and we'll try and get clarity what brachas to make on, on all those different types of vegetables. Plus, there are some trees that may not be considered chashiva trees. There are some fruits that may not be considered chashiva fruits, and they may actually be growing on a real tree, and they may be real fruits, but we will not make a bracha. We might not even make a bracha of hadoma on them. We might only have to make a shakal on them, depending on what type of fruit it is, and how edible that fruit is. So there's an enormous amount of, of um, halachas relevant to Bari Priya 8 and Bari Priya Adama. What will happen if I made a Bari Priya Adama and I should have made a Bari Priya 8? What happens if I made a Bari Priya 8 when I should have made a Bari Priya Adama? What happens if I made a Shahaka when I should have made Bari Priya 8 or Bari Priya Adama? These are all halachas which are extremely relevant. And Brez Hashem, in the coming year, we will, we will go through as much of the detail as we can and try and give you some background in the different questions. What bracha do you make of sugar? Is sugar a fruit? Is it a vegetable? Uh, is sugar cane? Is that considered a fruit? Is that considered a vegetable? So many different aspects. Chocolate. What bracha do you make on chocolate? All these we will discuss, Be'ez Hashem. We will go through the, the, the different areas of halacha relevant to fruits and vegetables. And then, of course, all the other foods, types of foods that we will eat. Just before we finish, I want to share with you something extremely interesting, which I think is, is uh, relevant to all of us as we're starting Hilchus Brochus. And it's also relevant to us as we are still in lockdown and we're trying to get rid of this awful magefa, this awful virus, which is raging around the world. Perhaps not raging anymore, but it's still there. And we don't know whether it's going to rear its ugly head again or not. And therefore, we really need to do everything we can to try and avoid a second spike and some schusim so HaKadosh Baruch Hu can enable us to get back to normal life so we can actually serve him in a better way and the best way that we can. The, the halacha tells us in Gemara and Masechus Menachas that a person should make a hundred brachas every single day. We should make a hundred brachas every single day. A person needs to make a hundred brachas every single day. And the Gemara brings a pasuk, What does HaKadosh Baruch ask from you? And the word ma can be read as meo. Meo, Hashem asks from you meo. He asks from you for a hundred brachas. Every day we make a hundred brachas, and by making a hundred brachas, in turn, HaKadosh Baruch is able to open the hundred gates of brachas are in Shemaim, and he can shower us with every single aspect of bracha that the world needs. So Chayav Adam, every person is obligated to make a hundred brachas every single day. The Rishonim, the Tor, quotes from Reb Natrunoi Goin, he quotes from one of the great of the Goinic period, he tells us that the source of 100 brachas actually started with David HaMelech. And it's based on a medrash. Where the, David HaMelech 
was the one that in, in, introduced the concept of a hundred brachas. And it's based on a pasuk in Shmuel, where he says, David was hukam oil, oil, ayin lamed, is the same numerical value as a hundred. Ayin lamed is 70 and 30 makes a hundred. David HaMelech was the one who introduced a hundred brachas. Why did he introduce a hundred brachas? Because in the time of David HaMelech, the, there were a hundred Jews who were dying every single day. Every single day, a hundred Jews died. And David HaMelech realized something was wrong. Something was wrong. What was missing in Kralis role that caused a hundred Jews to die every single day? And he realized that there wasn't enough bracha. All the gates of bracha weren't being opened in Shemaim. And therefore he introduced that a person should make a hundred brachas every single day. And when he introduced a hundred brachas every single day, they stopped dying. Those hundred Jews that were dying every single day stopped dying. The Magefa stopped. It came to the end of the Magefa. Now the Bach on the tour in Hilabichas Hashachar tells us an unbelievable thing. And he says, I want you to know, says the Bach, that those hundred Jews that were dying in the time of David would continue to die every single year. They would continue every single day. They would continue to die every single day throughout the history of the world from the time of David Melech to where we are today. If it were not for the fact that we were making a hundred brachas every single day, us making those a hundred brachas every single day is enabling there to be those hundred Jews who would die to live. Brachas have such unbelievable power that it can open up the, the, the gates of life in Shemaim. Literally opens up the gates of life. And every day that we make a hundred brachas, every day we're careful about the brachas we make. Every day we think about the brachas we make. So we're making real brachas, then the, the, the power of life, which HaKadosh Baruch Hu enables us and showers us with, gives us the, the spirit of life every single day is valid and triggered by the fact that we make those hundred brachas. And again, we see from here the importance of every single bracha that we make to make sure before we put food in our mouth, to make sure we make a bracha, to make sure if we want to put food, foods in my mouth without bracha, to know what to do and how to make those brachas. Not to, to miss brachas. And the food brachas are, are, are perhaps the largest bulk of brachas we make a day. We make brachas on drink, we make brachas on food. We're eating so much of our days, drinking and eating. Besides the brachas we say during thriller, every single bracha is so important. And they add up to 100 if you make a a, a count of all the brachas we say every day, the brachas hashacha and the the the, the, the brachas that we say on on uh, on brachas atayra and the tefillah and brachas krishma and the brachas of brachas amosin. All those we add them all together three times a day, davening etc. We say more than a hundred brachas a day, but every single day we need to have those hundred brachas because brachas have the power to open up the gates of life in Shemaim. So when we're in a time where where people's lives are. Are, I wouldn't say in peril, but there's a risk to people's life out there with this virus and a, a, a risk that this virus could reoccur. Then concentrating on our brachas, thinking about our brachas, saying them with, with concentration and with thought, realizing that the bracha can actually save lives and making sure that we can, best as we can, say a hundred brachas every single day. And in return, our will open up all the hundred gates of bracha, shower us with all the brachas that we need, and this magefa, give us everything that we need so we can serve him. And Be'ez Hashem will give us the greatest bracha of all, the bracha that will be able to see the Be'ez HaGoyal, the end of all Tzoros, when Mashiach will come, the Be'ez HaGoyal Bekorev, from here we may not amen. Thank you very much for listening, and have a really, really good night.